Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And from WBEZ in Chicago, this is Nerdette. Coming up, we talk to director Richard Linklater about boyhood and being a movie nerd. If film is painting, time is the paint itself. You know, so it's what you do with it. Plus, a conversation with the head librarian from Ferguson, Missouri, about what's happening now that the TV crews have left and people are trying to rebuild their community. Being the center of a community, a nexus, a meeting place, is exactly what a library does. Then we get to know great lady nerd of history, Audre Lorde. That and your nerd confessions on Nerdette. Because everybody's a little nerdy about something. Make it snappy, nerd! Nerds! Nerdette is supported by the Startup Institute, helping corporate refugees and aspiring innovators develop the skills, mindset, and network to get a job in Chicago's startup community. Their eight-week full-time program is taught by experts from high-growth Chicago companies. The spring cohort begins February 23rd with programs for web development, UX design, sales and account management, or technical marketing. Enroll now at startupinstitute.com. Startup Institute, immersive education for the innovation economy. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And you're listening to Nerdette. I'm sure we don't have to remind you movie nerds that the Oscars are soon upon us. Yes, and Boyhood is up for a whole slew of Oscars, including Richard Linklater for Best Director and Best Original Screenplay. Boyhood has already won basically all of the other awards up until the Oscars. It won the Golden Globe for Best Motion Picture. Linklater also got a Golden Globe for Directing. They swept BAFTAs, the British Oscars. Boyhood was filmed over 12 years and it chronicles one family. He says because of Boyhood and his Before trilogy, he ends up talking a lot about how he uses time as a storytelling device. I think I've kind of replaced notions of plot with time structures. To me, I think it feels more the way we process the world in the human psyche. You know, we're seeking patterns and we make sense of the world via structure and time is a big part. That's what we all have in common. We're all passing through time, you know. So when I try to tell a story, so much of it is how to tell it and how to perceive it. And I think that's such an innate way people perceive their own lives in the way we perceive history. And time is so innate to cinema. It's the most time-based, unlike other art forms. It's just so unique to film. If film is painting, time is the paint itself. You know, so it's what you do with it. So it's that innate to cinema. So I've always felt there was a lot of open territory there, storytelling, just from the beginning when I first got interested in film. And I was kind of coming to it maybe more from a literary background. I was studying, kind of wanted to be a novelist as a teenager, reading a lot. But I always thought like, well, why can't a film do this or that? So Boyhood ultimately is kind of a novelistic thing that you can't really do in cinema. Because in a book you can write, oh, and then he turned 13. You know, I can cover those years in film. It's harder to represent that, especially in the incremental little stages I was going for. I can't recast someone every couple years because I wanted to cover all of childhood. 
my ideas were dispersed over the big canvas. So this idea I had of filming a little bit was the only way to tell this particular story, but it ends up this big time sculpture of some kind, you know. It's the most dramatic, of course, with the main character, the boy, but Mm -hmm. the time passing for the adults in the film is stunning too. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting because so often in Hollywood, you know, people on the outside kind of joke that you can play a high schooler till you're 35, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) But here we have people actually being asked to have a character grow as they grow because they're people year mm-hmm. to year to year. And that must have been unique for adult actors to be told, you're playing this exact year. Yeah. Don't pretend that you're still yeah. one year out of college, even no. though you're 30 years old. I know. We're always in the moment, this film. And it was such a story challenge for everybody. They love the idea. You know, artists get it. You know, Patricia and Ethan, when I first floated the idea by them, they're like, yeah, think of the possibilities. We'll all get older and how we'll mature. You know, like, what a great new way to tell the story. That's kind of how we were thinking. But I can't think of two more vanity-free performances than what Patricia and Ethan give. I mean, they kind of give of themselves, and they just age. Ethan said he was watching the movie early on, maybe year eight. We were watching it together and talking about it as we went. You know, he's such a great collaborator. But uh, he said, wow, they grow up. We age. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, what is that point? You quit growing up and you start (laughs) aging. You can't really say for sure, but you know it when (laughs) when you get there. So it's really about that. And instead of trying to have a makeup artist cover up the fact if you have a a dispersed shoot that time has passed, it's like, oh, that new line? Keep it. We love it. (laughs) Tells us that another year has gone by. Yeah, yeah. Do you want the pimples? You know, like, do we cover that? It's like, no, we've worked hard. I've been waiting for those pimples for seven years, you know, like, yeah. You know, so it was all kind of a warts and all. And my own daughter, Lorelai, is in it, and she was like, Oh, those awkward ages, you know, she still feels a little weird about it. But uh, it's kind of a brave, you know, everyone kind of brought their whole A game, I guess. When she's part of this Facebook generation that we hear Mason talk about in the film, more of our young lives are documented and on the Internet now than any other generation before. But can you talk a little about relating this to an audience that, you know, maybe is a little young for it now, but who's going to have maybe not this artfully done of a life story on video, but Mm -hmm. somewhere on a hard drive, I think Jim Gaffigan has said he has more pictures of his children than his father ever looked at him because of the way technology has changed how we document. It's so easy. I think of home movies when I was a kid shooting on eight millimeter and then super eight, you know, it was just those special moments and, you know, they had a camera. You didn't just keep it running like the, the way you can in this era. So, yeah, there's a whole generation or two now of just, you know, extremely well-documented lives. But it's then it becomes like, well, so what? You know, like, what do you do with it? You know, it's documentation isn't storytelling. I mean, it's a record, but, uh, you know, what what does it mean? It's a mystery. (laughs) You know, like, are we that little kid we are in that picture? And who are we? So, I don't know. It it must affect the psyche in a different way. One last question for you. There's been some debate recently about whether the genre of young adult, literature specifically, but I think Mm -hmm. it could have a parallel in film, is not for adults, that they shouldn't waste their time with it. And you work so often with children. You've made movies that are family friendly. You make movies about childhood in such a respectful way. I wonder if you have any thoughts on this idea that young protagonists equate some sort of immaturity. (laughs) No, not at all. I think you can make pretty profound films about life seen through young eyes. I th- think that's pretty obvious. Uh, you know, Huckleberry Finn, anyone? <laughs> you know, so 
Yeah, that's ridiculous. But I think, yeah, there's a controversy. Should adults be reading Twilight and Harry Potter? And frankly, you know, my daughter was a certain age. We're first generation Harry Potter. I liked reading those books to her. They're just kind of wonderful. But once they don't need you to read them to them, (laughs) (laughs) I find myself not really reading the next ones because there's just still so much other stuff to to be read in my world, but uh, I don't begrudge anyone who does, you know, what the hell. Fair. You know, it's fun to be in on what's in the air, I guess, what everybody's reading and how literature affects kids at any time. It's kind of a great era. I'm glad this notion that we're becoming dumber, more illiterate, quite the opposite. I think it's a whole new generation of people who grew up reading a lot. There's just a lot of compelling stories out there for them to get a hold of, so... It's a good era to be a young person. Richard Linklater, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Let me go. I don't want to be your hero. I don't want to be a big man. Best of luck to Richard Linklater at the Oscars this weekend. It's an award show that takes almost as long to watch as it took Boyhood to film. Ba-dum, ching! Seems to me he should win all of the things because it just took that long to make it. None of the other movies took 12 years. It's like A for effort. A for effort for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Still to come, homework from Richard Linklater. Plus reflections from the librarian in Ferguson, Missouri. We celebrate Audre Lorde's birthday and your nerd confessions. This is Nerdette. Pleasure Town is WBEZ's modern twist on classic radio drama. Join us on Monday, February 23rd at 7 p.m. as we bring our show to Chicago's historic Chopin Theater. This exclusive one not only podcast taping featuring stories, music, and multimedia is based on the Feast of the Wretched, a holiday of sorts that takes place in the twisted and debauched world of the podcast. For tickets and more information, visit wbez.org events. You're listening to Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I'm Greta Johnson. A few weeks ago, I met Scott Bonner at the American Library Association's Midwest Conference. He's the head librarian at Ferguson Memorial Library in Ferguson, Missouri. Scott Bonner had just started his job at the Ferguson Library a few weeks before Michael Brown was killed, and Ferguson erupted into the epicenter of racial tension in the United States. The library itself was just a block away from the police department, which is where most of the protests were taking place. Schools were closed, but the library in Ferguson stayed open with Scott Bonner at the helm. A lot of people felt powerless about how to help in Ferguson, so they gave 5 or 10 or $15 to the library, and it became a really big story. Best new thing in the world today. This is really good. The library in Ferguson, Ferguson Missouri, Missouri. has become a remarkable story. I was drawn to the story of the library in and Ferguson. And Charles Hugh visited the library. Now that library has also served as a makeshift classroom. The Ferguson, on Missouri Public Library remained open, a safe haven day in for children. And day out, an oasis, especially when schools were shut for up to a week. It became such a big story that when I was at the ALA conference in Chicago, someone came up right before I was about to talk to Scott Bonner and asked if they could take a selfie with him. He doesn't seem super comfortable in the spotlight, though. I am appreciative that people are thankful for what we did, and I'm glad that we were able to play the role that we did, and we were needed. We were really seriously needed, and I'm glad to say that we were able to do quite a lot. So, you know, in perspective, yeah, we did do great work. However, none of that work was outside of the norm of what a library does, right? So we did a great big school program where we had a couple hundred kids coming in and doing a week-long school. Well, you know what? Continuing education is a standard function of your local library, right? We had a big art display of art in response to the troubles in Ferguson. 
cultural literacy a standard thing that your library does? Right next to you in your neighborhood, down the street, you have a library that does all these amazing things and you should just really get out there and do. We've hosted all these different organizations trying to help Ferguson and help uh, put together um, programs that will help Ferguson and organizations that will kind of rethink things and try to improve things. All of them are, or many of them have been meeting in the library and using the library as a, well, being the center of a community, a nexus, a meeting place is exactly what a library does. So I thank everyone for all the praise that we've gotten, but I just want to say, remember, praise your local library. They're doing the same stuff. Maybe not as dramatic a situation and maybe not quite as large as some of the things that we did, but the same kind of thing and they need your love. We're at ALA Midwest. There's thousands of librarians here this weekend. For communities where a lot of people do have the internet in their pocket, they are starting to say, well, why should I go to the library? But you just listed three very important prongs of what a library does that are beyond information gathering. Mm -hmm. What's the future of libraries? Well, all the things that libraries are known and loved for, like lending books and having uh, computers that are free to use and that kind of thing, all of those are means to those ends. So the future of libraries is that we'll find new means to achieve the ends of cultural literacy, continuing education, and serving as a, a center, especially for the intellectual work of our community, right? We'll find new means. As long as a community values those things and needs an institution dedicated to serving those ends and proving that community, the libraries have a place to go, right? Uh, I don't think books are going away anytime soon, but you know, if books went away, they're a means to the end. We'd find a new means, right? Also, one thing that libraries do, and you know, a community may not even realize this, libraries do what they do very quietly, right? And much of what they do is reflected glory, so to speak, and communities don't even realize what they have until they lose their library. Here's the thing. What libraries do is they are the great enablers. They magnify the effects of someone else's work. If someone wants to be start a small business, be an entrepreneur, the library has all those instructions and the forms and everything else, right? We'll give you the starting point. If you want to be a Renaissance man, we've got the deep knowledge waiting there for you and across many, many subjects. If a community wants to improve itself, here we have a safe, politically neutral, respectable, warm and welcoming place to gather together and improve the community, all right? So what libraries do is provide the means for others to do great things. And as long as that is important to a community, then the library is important to the community because we are, have that magnifying effect. We make good people great and good communities great communities by just providing the means to do so. What else do you think maybe people have forgotten about libraries? We talked about some, but is there anything else you think folks just need to remember? Well, I've covered a bunch of that stuff, and I'm tempted to just rattle off the usual list of, you know, we provide databases, we provide business databases, we provide, you know, story times to various groups, we provide all kinds of things. Libraries just do a whole mess of things, and any librarian can sit down and rattle off for 10 minutes telling you the things that they do. But big picture, I think the thing that I wish people would remember more is that Either A, you're in the library every day and you recognize the kind of great things the libraries are doing, or B, you're shrugging off libraries and saying, who needs a library? We have Google, which is shows a deep ignorance about libraries and Google. But uh, go look at the darn place, 
talk to a librarian, ask them the kind of things they do, and just realize that there's this powerhouse in your community that's doing all kinds of great things. And just because it's not crowing about itself, and just because those things aren't being thrown in your face doesn't mean it's not happening. Go, look at your library. And once you realize what your library does, use it. No librarian wants anything more than to figure out what you need and help you out. So go solve that problem you haven't been able to solve for the last five years by talking to a librarian. They'll have it in, you know, five minutes. What's your earliest memory of going to a library? Checking out the Encyclopedia Brown books from my school library when I was, I don't know how old I was, probably second grade, something like that. And I remember that, like, I couldn't figure out a single one of the Encyclopedia Brown clues, like I never ever got that right. I recently read them with my oldest child and was like, oh my God, this is so obvious. How on earth could anyone miss this? Ugh, I missed them all. <laughs> Thanks to Scott Bonner for talking with us. He runs the public library in Ferguson, Missouri. In the aftermath of Ferguson, many of us tried to figure out how to make sense of what was happening. Most of us were glued to social media. Some of us gave money to the library and others found catharsis in poetry from civil rights leaders of the past. One of those poets was Audre Lorde. I come here to read my poetry tonight as a black, feminist, lesbian, poet. She was born on February 18, 1934, in Harlem. Her entire life was dedicated to activism as artistic expression until she died in 1992. Audrey would describe herself not only as a feminist, but also as a womanist, which I love. One thing she's known for saying is the learning process is something you can incite, literally incite, like a riot. She said that she started writing poetry because she needed to express herself. When she was in high school, she wrote a poem about love and submitted it to the school magazine, which she also edited. Here she is talking about it in a PBS documentary. And the student advisor, the faculty advisor, said it was a bad sonnet. And I really knew that it was a good one. Do you see? But I knew that she didn't like it because of the things that I said in it. So I sent it off to Seventeen Magazine and they bought it. And I made more money from that one poem than I made for the next 10 years. It may have taken some time, but Audre Lorde ended up writing a dozen poetry books. Her work revolved around the idea that it's our moral imperative to speak out against injustice. She's best known for her poem, Litany for Survival. Here she is reading some of it. For those of us who live at the shoreline, Standing upon the constant edges of decision, crucial, alone. For those of us who cannot indulge the passing dreams of choice. You can learn more about Audre Lorde at nerdatpodcast.com. This Great Lady Nerd of History was brought to you by Basecamp. The nerds at Basecamp, the world's number one project management tool, want to thank Nerdat listeners for making awesome programming like this possible. And for being awesome in general. Basecamp is proud to sponsor Nerdat Podcast and to support other safe spaces for nerding out. Like Creative Mornings, Rails Girls, and Girls Who Code. Teachers using Basecamp in the classroom can get it for free. Check it out at Basecamp.com teachers. Just like Nerdat, Basecamp wouldn't exist without nerds like you. Nerd on! And learn more at Basecamp.com nerdat. Time now for homework. Here's Richard Linklater. I would invite everyone to go watch, if you haven't seen it, Ingmar Bergman's Fanny and Alexander, the five-hour. Turn off your phone, turn off all social media, and go back to, what's it said, in 1907? Beautiful Swedish film. 
it's probably the best film about the mentality of being a young person. It's a 30-year-old film. The Criterion has it. That's a little homework assignment for those who haven't seen it. I hope new generations of young people see that movie. I just showed it last spring. I was hosting a series in Austin where I live of 80s films, and I watched it again, and I thought, oh, wow, there's a stepfather. I mean, I had my own stepfathers, you know, in boyhood. It was from a personal place, but uh, I realized, oh, wow, that this is the greatest film about that view of the magical thinking of a kid. It's an epic budget, and it's so beautifully done. You can find links to all your homework at nerdatpodcast.com. Now it's time to hear from you. Time for Nerd Confessions! Nerd Confessions! Hi, Prada and Trisha. This is Christine from Washington, D.C., and this is one part Nerd Confession and one part shout-out to one of my best friends, Em, who's also a fan of the show. So when, when we were in college, my best friends and I had an annual Oscar party that was so exclusive that only the three of us were invited. In the week leading up to the Oscars, we would try our best to watch all of the films on the Best Picture list. We'd make predictions, discuss fashion highlights of past Oscars, and even create interpretive dances of all of our favorite films. Then the big day would arrive, and we would go to a secret, undisclosed location, which was usually M's sister's apartment, where nobody could find us. And we would watch the Oscars in matching outfits with lots of cheap champagne and platters of cake and a blanket on our laps. And no one was allowed to talk during the acceptance speeches. It really was the best. So happy Oscars to all the nerds out there. Bye. Happy Oscars, nerds. I like the secret agentiness of this, that there was an undisclosed location for the party. Does this mean I still have time to watch all of the Oscar-nominated films? <laughs> you just want to have an Oscar party now because you've realized it's an excuse for champagne. The champagne and the pigs in a blanket in the lap. Like, these are all very good images to me. <laughs> Call 312-600-5638 to tell us about when you were at your nerdiest. Everything from epic fails to humble brags, welcome. Call us and leave your nerd confession, 312-600-5638. Or suggest a great lady nerd of history for us to profile. Or just say hi, we love voicemails. Thanks to Richard Linklater and Scott Bonner for joining us this week. You can find us at nerdatpodcast.com. That's also where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Talk with us on Twitter at nerdatpodcast. Like us on Facebook. The show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson. With help from Joe Dassault and Colleen Pellissier. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect nerds like you. More information is available at chicagopublicmedia.org. Thank you for listening on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud... Throw us some stars and write a review if you're feeling generous. Like the excellent Viv Kviv did on iTunes. I think that's a Roman number. What's, wait, it would be <laughs> 515, 1006? Yeah, that makes way more sense than Viv Kviv, right? 515, 1006. What would that be? I don't know, man. We appreciate the stars, retweets, and shares. There's one other way you can help Nerdette. If you're a nerd with a business or work for one that wants to get your message heard by Nerdette listeners, you can underwrite this show. Email nerdettepodcast at gmail.com to learn more about sponsorship opportunities. Our theme music is New Old Toys by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Do it. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. 
Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.